NFR Extra is a podcast dedicated to the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo and features icons and personalities that embody the Western lifestyle. and roll man like (laughs) constantly i feel like that and that's the thing rodeoing all year long it's about adaptability like whether you're the horse or the person you can make a plan all you want and the the lord will direct your steps and so will a few other things (laughs) and so you just kind of have to go all right i'll take this i'll work with this and make some lemonade out of lemons but it did hurt in 21 because it was the last round just number one in the world the whole way through pretty much like before the finals, mostly during, and then up until the last round. And then I failed riding-wise. My timing wasn't great. She was a little bit not totally listening. It's okay. But (laughs) she was. And I went and did an interview right before that round. And I remember being asked, I can't remember where or who it was, but, you know, now that you're kind of out of it, what do you think? (laughs) And that made me mad. (laughs) And I was like, "Mm, I don't think I am, but thank you so much. This is Pro Rodeo announcer Andy Seiler, and you are listening to NFR Extra. So, Haley, take us through round by round of last year, because there were obviously some ups and downs for your your fourth world world title. Yeah, it was a very up and down week in a lot of good ways. First round kind of bombed out early, which is kind of a good and bad thing. You want your first round to be solid so you have something to build on, but also it kind of took pressure off. Like, well, you're not going to win the average. Like, just swallow that pill on night one. That's okay. Um, so I just kind of overshot the first barrel and it set me up weird going to the second barrel. So caught the second on the backside. Like, she didn't do anything wrong, but she will get a little strong running the first barrel. And I realized that I used to like hold her in the alley until I got to the mouth kind of at Thomas and Mac. And now that she's older, she runs a little harder to it. And so I decided next night I was going to just make the corner and let her take off. And that worked, leveled out. We won round two. Uh, we came back and won round three. So that was awesome. Won round four. That was special. We crossed the million dollar mark in NFR earnings in that round. Um, so things were looking really good. Round five, Emily Beisel should have won it. She ran a 2-9 in... That was amazing to run to, but she hit the third barrel. But I ended up splitting it with Lisa Lockhart, which was cool. Um, it was really exciting for her. First round win on that new horse of hers, Levy. And so we go to South Point and we went to Silverado after the South Point. My mom ate something that gave her food poisoning. Mm-hmm. And oh. she was down for a day and a half. And so she takes care of my horses out there. And Tuesday was actually supposed to be my day off, off. And I, cause that's how. I like I have low blood sugar. I get really tired. So I was going to take a day to rest. Well, I'm not resting now because now I'm doing all the horse stuff and we're just trying to get her to be able to eat. And so Tuesday turned into a really long day for me. I ended up doing an interview that night and I was up at the Purina stage and Luke said, you need to go to the sports med and get some meds. And I just couldn't like I was like, I got to get back and get my grand entry horse ready. I was stressed. I didn't have enough time. And I was just run down. I remember being so dizzy when I got on 
And so round six, I pretty much repeated what I did in round one. Like everything that went wrong that round, same thing. More so just because I was kind of out of control. Mm -hmm. And she was by that point getting a little stronger, kind of wanting to like really throw down, but I just wasn't there. And so hit another barrel further down in the average. Came back round seven, just wanted to make a solid run. We did it, but that was frustrating because it was just a tough night and I Mm -hmm. was like too out of place and, and you shouldn't be with that kind of run, but it was just a good night. So, um, round eight, I was going to make my run. I'd already talked to my mom about like, you know, it's been good. We've had a great time. Whatever happens, happens. We're just going to go for it. Like last three days, this is now fun to me. That's like, that's completely unplugged. We just get to go have a good time. And I went and did an interview right before that round. And I remember being asked, I can't remember where, who it was, but you know, now that you're kind of out of it, what do you think? (laughs) And that made me mad. (laughs) And I was like, "Mm, I don't think I am, but thank you so much. So I just said, you know, I know it would take a Hail Mary finish, but I never count my horse out on a Hail Mary. So uh, we kind of went for it that night. Still overshot the first barrel, but I made it work, placed in the round, came back and won round nine, flipped my reins over her head around the second barrel in round nine. And that's kind of scary going to the third barrel without reins on the right side because that's your mulligan, right? Your outside rein right. is like your, uh-oh, and I lost my uh-oh. So it was like, well, it was better work. <laughs> so I just like looked at the bucking shoots. I mean, the, sorry, the rope and shoots and was just like trying to go as far that way as I could. And then um, come round 10, I kind of knew like everything had to go right. The stars had to align a little bit. But the only thing that I could control was making a good run. And I had to do that either way. So I just decided I'm just going to go try and make a good run. And when I came out and heard the time, I knew. It was like I didn't even need to know how the rest of the round went. I just had this feeling that that was what I had to do. It's done. doesn't even matter. And I knew it did matter. (laughs) There were still people to run that could have made a difference. But for me, that was, it was like, I was certain. I was just certain it was what we needed to do. So yeah, a lot of, lot of interesting stuff. That, well, that's awesome to me, too, that you you remember all those little idiosyncrasies over a 10-day span. You know, I, I don't know. It, it seems like people at your level, they can tell you those minute details, you know, that, that took you to that, that gold buckle. Definitely. I think, for me, those are the things I remember as much as anything. I remember the runs. I remember the, the highlights. But I remember what caused every run. Because that's part of your job mm-hmm. is to know what causes the good things, right? And know what causes the bad things and try and prevent those in the future and repeat the good ones. But um, yeah, it was interesting because I, I felt like I had a good week up and down for sure, but really good. But I actually won the same amount of money or more the previous year. And since I didn't win a gold buckle, that everybody kind of said that you didn't have a great week out there. I'm thinking I actually won more money in 21, but... Uh, this year, it worked out in my favor in the end. So that's what you think of. So mm-hmm. I have to just kind of look at it, step back, and for me, look at it as what makes a good week. And all the good things, all the things I knew the right causes and I created the right causes and the good things happen in both NFRs, those to me, that's what determines whether it's a good week or not, not the end result. Right. Yeah, th- that's the deals. I was listening to uh, this coach talk on the podcast too, and they're saying, like, well, do you consider that a failure or whatever? It's like, well, for every championship you don't win, is that a failure? Or, you know, I mean, yeah. it's like, okay, I mean, you had a great week, you had a great day, you had a great run. And there's sometimes, like you said, that there's times that are way faster that everybody had a good night and sometimes not. So, definitely. Yeah, just that mindset of moving forward with a championship mindset. For sure. I mean, competitively, I think, yeah, immediately I'm like, ah, oh, 
that wasn't your goal. You didn't accomplish your goal. So in a way, you feel like it's a failure, but you can't operate that way because then you're going to fail more than anything. And, Absolutely. Or you have to say, that's fine. I'll call it a failure, but failure is good. I'll take it. I'll build on it. I'll fix it. Um, so I guess it depends what how bad is that word to use? Is that a really bad right. word? Because if it's a really bad word, don't use it. If it's just kind of an eh word, then yeah, that's fine. I failed. All right. But I'm going to win something else. How does how does it go? You know, I mean, you have those unknown variables. Mom getting sick, that type of deal. Going into the NFR and you're like, all right, we got to just scratch whatever plans we had. And we just got to <laughs> we just got to call an audible and roll with it. Yeah. So what do you do with that? Like when I mean, because that's huge. I mean, your mom's your support team. And now you got I don't get a break. Not going to take care of my horses. I got to take care of my mom. I got to do all this other sort of stuff. So it's like really not that it not all the attention's on you, but it's like, okay, I really got to focus on what's important here. And we just got to get through this. Together. Tuck and roll, man. Yeah. Tuck, like <laughs> constantly. I feel like that. And that's the thing rodeoing all year long. It's about adaptability. Like whether you're the horse or the person, you can make a plan all you want and the, the Lord will direct your steps. And so will a few other things. <laughs> yeah. And so you just kind of have to go, all right, I'll take this. I'll work with this and make some lemonade out of lemons. And it doesn't always work. Like in that case, it was, I thought I could muscle through that day. Yeah. And I could not. Right. I should have called in help sooner. Like I should have, you know, found some people that could help me out. Um, nothing against, you know, what she could and couldn't do. My mom still crept down there in her little jacket that night because she was not going to miss mm. going down the alley because she knows for me that's more mental that right. she's there like she's not doing anything but she was there and she'd go look up coffee and I felt so bad but she you know she tried she did right. all she could right I did all I could I probably in hindsight would have done things a little differently I might have even got off sis knowing I was sick like she needs me to be 110 percent, and I was not right. I probably should have got on my black horse and just survived the night but it's hard in the moment because you're looking at, oh, I need to keep winning. Mm -hmm. No, I was on a roll. I need mm -hmm. to keep that going. And so I sh probably should have been braver to press pause and say, I'll come back and have that roll later. But you just try and make the best decision with wherever you're at. And then afterwards, you have to just kind of be content with it, whether it works or not. Like, you made that decision. You can lose sleep over if you want, but that doesn't help you for tomorrow. Yeah, they're not going to take your birthday away. No. I, well, if they do, I mean, <laughs> shoot, you know, darn, I won't get older. That'd be okay. <laughs> Let's take a quick pause, and we'll be right back. When the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo is in town in December, it's also time to celebrate the Western lifestyle with the Cowboy Channel, Cowboy Christmas. Catch live shows on the Ariat Rodeo live stage, check out the Yeti Junior World Finals, get close up with the NFR contestant autograph sessions, and enjoy the entire day. Hand shopping, there's something for everyone. Create your memories in Vegas. The Cowboy Channel, Cowboy Christmas, located on levels one and two in the South Halls of the Las Vegas Convention Center. It's all here. Talking about horses, you have a few new ones that are on the trailer with you. What is the season looking like this year? So here lately, I've just been going to some circuit rodeos, some smaller stuff, just kind of seasoning, really trying to just kind of figure out where everybody's going to fit. Um, so I've got a really cool young mare named Valentina. She's six. Called her a little last summer, and she just kind of jumped out there in place. Like stuff I would get on her at, smaller things she handled. She took it well. Um, I've got a mare of mine, Reese. She's seven. I've only hauled her a little bit. The places last summer that I hopped on her, she really stepped up. This year, I'm still trying to figure out kind of what her niche is. She was really great out west where the bigger wide open pins and the smaller tire sets shouldn't run as hard. So 
I don't really call anything like backup, backup, but just kind of trying to figure out where they're going to show up and when so I know what to enter for them. Because generally, I plan a year around this, where she's going to go and what she likes. So I don't want to be just hitting a rodeo on the way just because it's on the way. I want to go because I've got something I think can win there. So that's kind of for right now, the I guess the stage I'm in is figuring out what they like and what they don't like. And that means going to a lot of circuit rodeos that I maybe know wouldn't love to because I would love to be home right now, but I need to figure those things out and get a plan together. So when the bigger money rodeos start rolling around, I can know exactly where to go and be efficient with it. So with that in mind, what what are your future plans for sister? Uh, I mean, obviously, you guys have a special relationship where, you know, you talk because she can't. But I, I mean, you, you talk to <laughs> one another through the time you spent together and all that. But what what's kind of your future in mind for her after she's done? I would hope at some point she starts doing these interviews and we can just swap. She can talk for me. Um, that would be ideal in the future. But um, yeah, you know, it's it's weird because now that she's 12 now and she's still the same. Like she's not slowing down. Mm-hmm. She's not changing. Like physically, there have been a couple little tiny signs of aging that I see, but I would only notice them because it's me. Mm-hmm. Nobody else would. Um, but otherwise, I'm still planning as if we're just going to keep doing our thing. But I also have to mentally be ready for this ride will eventually end. And I don't really know when that is. So going to even some of the winter rodeos where she does so well, I always kind of have this thought in my head like, what if next year she doesn't feel like coming here? And I have to make that call. And so just kind of trying to look out for her and be super sensitive to that. But I say all that because we're not there yet. It's Mm -hmm. just weird to think about. So I just try and, I guess, plan ahead and stay prepared for anything like that. Um, Like I said, I plan a summer around her, but I also recognize that if she has a day that it's just not her day, that's okay because she is getting older. I mean, I may have to be aware of that as well. So future plan wise, I would love to just come back here until she's 15 and then just let her chill and enjoy her life after that um we've never pulled embryos on her i would like to breed her at some point but i kind of feel like that's a separate job and um a lot of people do both at the same time that's cool but for me she takes this one job so so seriously that i hate to just give her a second one and be like hey handle it all buddy um i don't need it financially and i'm not a breeder so that's not my main priority but at some point we may be transitioning into that phase because she is a girl and she does have ovaries that are worth a lot of money. But you know, <laughs> um, like I said, in the meantime, I'm loving the experience of just running her. And like, that's my deal. She loves that. That's, I want to keep her loving that as long as possible. The moment she doesn't, then we'll, we'll make another direction change on her career. You've had a pretty incredible career and pretty early in life. It's not, you know, it's not like you're 45 still doing this. How long do you have in your mind of, I want to be very competitive going down the road? You ask me that now and I'm going to say forever. I, I love it. I love it. I love going. I love running barrels. Of course, I love running her, you know, yeah. and that's the hard part is I'm seeing that through the lens of right now. It's freaking fun. I show up with a chance to win mm-hmm. every time I get on her. There are times I get on other horses and it's not as fun. Um, and then nothing against them. It's just a different caliber of right. horse when you get on something like that. So um, ideally, I want to be able to make a horse, keep a horse that is like her, not her, but like her right. in the future to where I could keep doing this in a similar way. I may have to work a little harder at it and that's okay. But um, I would love to keep coming back here. I would love to set myself up and stay in a position to keep rodeoing, keep going to the, the big winter rodeos, getting myself qualified, keep planning a fun slightly laid back but competitive summer you know that sounds awesome i'll do it forever 
maybe, you know, when things change with her, she gets older, I may dial that plan back or, or change it. But I just, um, I want to be ready and I want to have horses ready that can handle that as well um, and do that. Because that right now, that's where my heart is. Right. So what is it about, if you could put your finger on one thing that made that horse so spectacular, what is, what is her stand apart from everybody else? And, I mean, I could say a million things talent-wise, physically. Of course, everybody says, oh, she's got a big heart, and they try. Yeah, but she loves her job. Like, she loves running barrels. I think she would do it without me. She It would look a little different. Um, <laughs> it actually would look like the first barrel in my first round. But uh, <laughs> she she just has her own, like, tenacity about life. Like, it in the pen at home, she runs around like a blithering idiot. Um, she just, she likes to play, like she's spooky and watchy. And I think all those things that make her young are also what keeps her excited about life. And thankfully, the job that she loves is barrel racing because that same attitude, she puts all of that towards barrel racing. She just, she goes in there with more love for that sport than most people. Because I've heard you say before, like when she blows by a barrel, it pisses her off. Like, I mean, and she, <laughs> she runs even faster. So, I mean, so that's pretty cool. And I want you to expound on that because that that's showing you that that horse is a true competitor. She is. Um, like I said, she kind of does things her way. So if I have a, a setup in mind of how we're going to turn this first barrel, it's usually the first one, if anybody's noticed, um, <laughs> then, and it doesn't work out. If I will just kind of make myself relax for a second, like a backside of the turn, if I was to get frustrated and pull on her, you'll see that too. She'll shake her head at me. She hates being handled. But if I'll just breathe for a second, it's like it gives her that second to think and go, uh-oh, and she gets in gear. Um, she just kicks it into high gear, and she'll she'll get faster and faster, going to the second, going to the third, faster running out. And I don't think it's because she's faster than any horse on the way home. I've heard that before. Like, oh, she just runs harder out the back than anybody because she's that much faster. I don't think so. It's like I think it's because she actually tries harder across the line running out than she tries running in. And she already feels like she's at 100% running mm -hmm. in, so she's just building. So that sort of thing for her, that's her mind, right? And I can get in the way of her mind physically. I could do things that could depress her in mm -hmm. the run. I could do things that when your body position, your energy changes and says that, oh, shoot, I messed up. I'm out of it. If I ever have that body position or that body language, she feels that too. And then she doesn't get that tenacity kick in. But if I'll just stay patient and stay confident that she's got it, it's like it allows her to flip that switch that says, I need to do something about this. And she puts that overdrive in. Talking world titles with sister. You had three world titles before this one in a one-year gap. What is it like coming back to Las Vegas to talk about your world title? Oh, man. Um, it's, it was special, for sure, the last one, because of overcoming the year before. Because the year before, in my opinion, would be what you call a failure. And not in the worst way possible. I'm thankful it happened. Um, I was thankful in 2017 to be runner-up. If I had won the world that year, it would have been all too easy. And it was one barrel that cost me that. It was one barrel that cost me in 21. We, we hit one barrel throughout the year. We go around one barrel all the time. So it's such a small thing. But it did hurt in 21 because it was the last round. It was number one in the world the whole way through pretty much like before the finals, mostly during and then up until the last round. And then I failed riding wise. My timing wasn't great. She was a little bit not totally listening. That's okay. But <laughs> she was. Um, and so... To just see that as 
an end. Like it was fairly devastating because it's what you work your whole career for. But for me, it was also just an exhausting year. I was mentally exhausted. I was physically exhausted. I needed something like that. I needed that to happen for for me personally, not as a competitor, not because she didn't deserve another gold buckle to her name, but it was a good thing for me to just say, do you love this? Like, do you really love this? Or is this just a job? Like how this has been hard for you. So do you love it? Can it, can it get better? Can you make this a lovable thing for you again? Not barrel racing, but the whole other stuff that goes with it. And when I realized that, yes, that's, that's why I do this. It's not because we win. It's not because of the expectations. It's just something we love to do. Then coming back in 22, I had a whole different perspective at the start of the finals. Granted, I wasn't coming in number one, which is kind of nice, but, um, you know, of course you want to come in with a lead, but it also took a lot of pressure off. I was committed to having fun out here. And I don't mean going to the strip and raging afterwards. Right, like, right. I mean, like I wanted barrel racing to be fun at the NFR. I wanted to enjoy it. I wanted to think if this was my last time here, if I'm going to treat it like it's my first time here. Um, so I was so committed to that, that it made me compete in a whole new way. And opening that door for me at this point in my career was huge for me as a person and a competitor to see well, that there's more to this. Well, we had a talk with Luke and he kind of said the same thing, you know, cause we were talking about replay and all that good stuff, but he was talking about the steer that he got flagged out on and it cost him a world title. And he was like, I don't know if I would have won five, if it wouldn't have been for that mistake. He was like, it took that to go, Hey, you know, I put Butch Kirby in a bad spot, but really if I would have done my job, then I don't, Butch doesn't have to make that call. But he said, it also lit a fire in me that got me two more gold buckles. So that's, that's interesting to hear your perspective on that. So outside of competing at rodeos, or I, I know the futurity world is huge in barrel racing. Do you participate in that at all? A little bit. Kind of dabble. Um, I don't feel like I can pour a whole lot into it. One, because of being gone, I'm not home riding an exhibition in my Colts as much as everyone else is. Um, and it shows. <laughs> and um, two, um, you know, going to the rodeos and trying to dabble in both, my... Um, the derby horse age is a little better for those young horses coming up. I don't necessarily want to take Futurity Colt to a rodeo. I will if they're ready, but that's a, a very hard thing to ask them to do. So when I'm taking Futurity horses, it's almost a completely separate deal for me. And I don't have help. Um, I have my mother who's awesome, but we live six hours apart. And so she's maybe got a couple to ride and then me. And then I've got a girl that helps me feed when I'm gone. But I don't have a whole team in place to where I could do both well. And I'm really hard on myself about that. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it really well. I don't mind dabbling, and I'll go to some fraternity derby stuff here and there. But I know when I show up, I'm not here to win first. Like, I'm going to try, but I'm not prepared for that. These yeah. people are prepared for that. When I go to a rodeo, that's where my focus is right now. And that's when I'm showing up to win first. So after that, I mean, I just kind of think at some point I may transition into the fraternity derby deal a little bit more so but like I said I would love to keep rodeoing so as much as I love rodeoing I feel like my focus is going to stay there for a while but I've got a couple fraternity colts for next year I've got some derby horses right now that I'm taking to some events here and there it's more so when I can fit them in around the major rodeos and just trying to keep that balance where I can do really well at both knowing I'm not going to dominate at both well, what's, one way. what's interesting to me about that is there are maturity trainers that are very, very successful that if you go to a rodeo and 
I'm, I'm like, I don't know who this lady is. And you guys are like, oh my God, you don't know. I'm, well, I don't barrel race, but you know, it's, it's its own world. So you're right on the preparation side. If you're, if that's not what you're doing, then you can't set expectations that, Hey, I'm going to win X, Y, and Z. So yeah, there are very few people that do both at the moment, super successfully. They have great teams in place that help them make that happen and to be applauded that they can. But it is a whole different world. It's very exciting, though, for barrel racing because, as I said, I may not have a horse that can compete at the top rodeo level Mm -hmm. in a few years or in 10 years from now. But there is always a place for me in barrel racing. Always. There will never be a moment where I can't compete at some high level. It may not be the NFR for everyone, but it is somewhere. And every it's like we've got our own little NFRs and the other ways in barrel racing in that world. And there's for some people that's what they're passionate about. So that's awesome that my event is so broad that there's a place for everyone. It's kind of what keeps barrel racing so big and growing on its own, even outside of rodeo. For the most part, I think we all view rodeo and the NFR as the pinnacle. But for a lot of people, it's never going to be feasible or the right thing for them. So it gives everybody a place to compete, which is really cool. No, for sure. And speaking of competition, we can't wait to see you back here in Vegas and running Sister in the Thomas and Mac again. So thank you for your time. Thank you. I hope to be there. Want to experience more of the NFR? Then visit NFRexperience.com. And we invite you to subscribe to NFR Extra on Apple Podcast. Spotify, iHeartRadio, and wherever you're listening right now. If you like what you've heard on NFR Extra, we would love it if you gave us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe.